0: We started off our service by saying, He is risen, but I don't think we can say it too many times. So, He is risen. He is risen. 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 Amen. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to uh, the New Testament book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark 15 uh, this morning. So, please open your Bibles to Mark 15, uh, beginning with verse 43. We're going to get there in just a moment. Well, it has been uh, quite a year. And uh, as I think back to Easter in 2020, uh, we can all kind of take ourselves back to that place and be reminded. What Easter Sunday was like. Uh, I don't know what it was like for you. I'm guessing you were probably staring into a screen somewhere, either on a computer or or something or other. Uh, I was in the woods, uh, standing in front of a cave, uh, looking at a video camera. It was a very strange Easter. For me as well, retelling the Easter story, and it felt uh, quite authentic, I'm not going to lie, standing outside of a cave in the middle of a woods, and it was very, very quiet uh, last year for Easter. Last Easter was kind of surreal for all of us, and I think 2020 uh, was surreal for all of us, Uh, and uh, as I think about that Easter last year, I was thinking, you know, 2020 is going to be a year where we have this short disruption— And after a few weeks, we're going to get back to our regularly scheduled lives. But that hasn't been the case, right? 2020 uh, was a year uh, like no other. And uh, the irony of 2020 is that we can now look back and literally have clarity on all that was going on. In the moment we were experiencing 2020 in real time, and I don't know about you, I didn't have clarity, but now looking back thinking, oh yeah, now I see what was happening, now what was going on, and that illusion in my head that this was going to be a quick quarantine and then we'd get back to it, that's now clear to me that that is not what actually happened. And of course, when we talk about uh, looking back, uh, Uh, looking in the rearview mirror, we have clarity. 2020 gives us clarity, looking in the rearview mirror, right? I mean, we know that. That's why we love having a rearview mirror metaphorically to look back and say, oh, now I understand. Now it's so clear what was going on. And I think here we are 2,000 years after the first Easter. We look at the story, we're familiar with the story, and we might even think to ourselves, I understand the story, I get the story, because we've got 2,000 years of looking back, of having clarity. But we have to remember that those who were there on that first Easter Sunday, they did not have the benefit that you and I have. They didn't have the benefit of vision being 2020 because they were looking in the rear view mirror. So this morning, I want to invite all of us to go on a journey back and to think about what it was like to be the disciples and Mary and Mary, Mary Magdalene, as they experienced that first Easter. Because on that day, they had zero expectation that Jesus would rise from the dead. If you want to just back up a couple. This is what their expectation was on that first Sunday. Nobody believed that Jesus would rise from the dead. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are indeed a God of the resurrection. God, we thank you for the gift of looking back and seeing things so clearly. But, God, in the midst of looking back and seeing so clearly, I think we oftentimes miss, Lord, what it was truly like to experience the resurrection, those events in real time. So, God, Dwell among us. Speak to us as we prepare to read your word again this morning. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On that Good Friday, there was nobody who thought Jesus Christ was the Son of God. On Friday, nobody thought that he was the Messiah. On Friday, everybody lost hope in who Jesus said he was. There were no Jesus followers on Friday, and certainly on, not on Saturday. Because on Friday, they watched their Savior, their rabbi, who had made so many claims about himself, hanging on a cross. They watched him die. And on Saturday, they were in complete disbelief. Did this really happen? On that Saturday, there were no followers of Jesus Christ. They were despondent and grieving and mourning. Because on that Friday, hope died. And there were a group of people gathered, and they wondered what they were going to do next. There was a disillusioned mother. There was a group of Galilean fishermen who I'm thinking are thinking to themselves, we just wasted three years of following this guy. They had no hope. There were no Jesus followers. There was no Christ because he was in the grave. And they were wondering now, what are we gonna do? And so Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went to the governor, Pontius Pilate, on that Friday and said, can we have the body of Jesus? And he granted them the body. They took his body down. They wrapped it in cloth. They prepared it for burial. And they put it into the tomb and sealed the tomb. That was it. It was lights out. It was over in that moment the movement of Jesus Christ had stopped dead in its tracks. There was no point in keeping the Jesus movement alive because there was no more Jesus. You know, that the interesting thing about Jesus' life is that people did not follow him for his teachings. Now we can go to the next slide. didn't follow him for his teachings. He taught in parables. Most people didn't even understand his parables. So when Jesus was teaching, when he was preaching, most people are scratching their head going, I don't get it. And most people did not follow Jesus because of his miracles, the, the miraculous things he did, or even the healings that he did. Those are not the reasons why most people followed Jesus when he was alive. The reason why people followed Jesus was because he made these extraordinary claims about himself. He talked about having the power to forgive sin. And everybody knew that only God had the power to forgive sin. And they thought to themselves, who is this guy that he talks about forgiving sin? Who does he think he is? And Jesus talked about bread from heaven come down. He talked about himself being the Lord of the Sabbath. Who does that? Who does he think he is? Jesus would teach and he would say, I am greater than Abraham. I am greater than Moses. I am greater than all the prophets. And all the people who listened, their heads exploded. This is why people follow Jesus. Because of his extraordinary claims to be connected to God in heaven. It's almost as if God had come from heaven to earth and embodied in the person of a human being. People were enamored with Jesus, so of course they followed him, but not on Friday, and certainly not on Saturday, because their hopes were dashed. Jesus made these claims, but clearly, he was not the Son of God. Because the Son of God does not allow themselves to be crucified, to be killed on a cross by a foreign power. Who was that guy? Must have just been another false prophet. I mean, that's what they're all thinking. There was not a single Jesus follower on that Friday and Saturday. In the Bible, the New Testament is very clear. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. None of them say, hey, you know what? I was there on that Friday, and I still believed. There are no heroes in the gospel. Nobody said, even though everybody else ran away and hid, I still believed. It doesn't say that. In fact, it tells us on that first Easter Sunday morning, there was nobody standing outside the tomb doing a countdown. Ten, nine, that didn't happen. On that first Easter Sunday morning, it was just an empty tomb with a stone in front of it, and people wondering, now what do we do? How do we put our lives back together? Hope had completely died. You know, the thing about Jesus' claims, they're wondering to themselves, he said some extraordinary things. John records one of those extraordinary things that Jesus talked about. He actually said one time, it's recorded in John 6, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because the living father who sent me. And in the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread of life that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats the bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but they will live forever. See, we have the benefit of hindsight. When Jesus spoke these words, people are going, that's weird. Right, And I think we can all agree that's strange. Who says that? Eat my bread, uh, my body, and drink my blood. That's just strange. And so the scripture tells us that one by one, people began to desert him. It says this in John 666. From this time on, many of his disciples, the masses of people who were following him, turned back and no longer followed him the crowd standing out. And so Jesus looks at the 12 and says, are you guys leaving too? And I can about imagine in that moment nobody gives Jesus eye contact except for Peter. Cuz Peter speaks first and he speaks often and he's the loudmouth in the group, right? And Peter looks at Jesus and he says these words, "Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. In that moment, Peter is making this great declaration of faith. And I love the disciples because they have these moments of extraordinary faith. They look at Jesus and say, where are we going to go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. But then on Friday, there's Peter denying that he even knows Jesus. And all the disciples have fled, and they've scattered. And there are no Jesus followers on that Friday. Certainly not on that Saturday. There's no hope. Hope died when Jesus died. But on that Sunday morning, something happened. Something happened that changed everything. Something happened that changed everything for all of humanity and for all of eternity. The body that had been laid in the tomb came back to life and Jesus started breathing. And as the worship team sang this morning, there was no grave. That could hold his body down. And he got up and the stone was rolled away. This is what they experienced on that first Easter Sunday, on that first morning when there was no hope. And it was incredibly confusing. And so this morning, I wanna just spend a little bit of time talking about the event. The event that we call the resurrection, and the movement called the church, and the recording called the Bible. And it's really important that we get this sequence correct. It's first the event, second the movement, and third the recording. Oftentimes, I think we get these three things out of order, and it confuses us. So let me be very clear this morning. We celebrate the resurrection not because the Bible tells us so. We celebrate the resurrection not because the church tells us so. We celebrate the resurrection because of the event of Jesus getting up and coming out of the grave. Now oftentimes people push back and say, "Well, Brian, here's the deal." We know about the resurrection because of the Bible. That's not actually true. Let me try and explain it to you this morning. And I think we're confused about this because people like me don't always do a good job explaining it. So I want to kind of break it down a little bit for you this morning. We do not know about the resurrection because the Bible tells us. We know about the resurrection Because it's an event that actually happened. The Bible. Let's start with the Bible just to give you a little understanding of this. The Bible, as we know it, when I say the Bible, you probably think of this, right? The Bible was not actually assembled or put together until about the year 370 AD. That's a long time. After, uh, uh, after Jesus rose from the grave. See, they lived in a non-literate oral culture. 95% of the people couldn't read. And so after Jesus rose from the grave... After that event happened, people started talking and sharing with one another, the eyewitnesses, certainly the disciples. But then later when Jesus appeared to hundreds of people and they started telling the stories of Jesus and the resurrection. And this went on and on and on. And there were different people who knew about the resurrection. And so we go, this is why we know about the resurrection. It's people who eyewitnesses, people like Matthew, people like Mark, people like Luke, people like John, people like James, uh, people like Peter and Paul. Here's what you need to know. For the first several decades of the church, there was no Bible explaining the resurrection. What there was, was a guy by the name of Matthew. And after a number of years, in the year 70, he wrote down a document saying, I'm going to tell you about who Jesus the Messiah is. There was Mark, another guy in 65 AD wrote the story of Jesus. Then there was Luke. Luke was a physician. He was a Gentile. He was like a reporter walking around saying, hey, now tell me again. And he talked to all the eyewitnesses. And finally, he put his gospel together in the year 80 A.D. He said, you know, many people tried to put the gospel story together, but let me do it for you. And then he wrote it down, and this got passed on to other scribes. The gospel of John was not written until 90 A.D. Peter wrote a couple letters in about 60 A.D., James, the brother of Jesus, wrote his letter in 62 AD. You hear where I'm going with this? The Bible did not exist, folks. It did not exist. And then there was the Apostle Paul, 53 to 66. He wrote about half the New Testament. The Bible didn't exist. And what we had in the early church was just all these people talking and explaining the resurrection. And finally several people started writing down and documenting, this is what I saw with my own eyes. The Bible didn't come together until hundreds of years later. It was just lots and lots of documents floating around. And so if we can only know about the resurrection because the Bible tells us so, there couldn't have been any Christians for the first 400 years of the church. We don't believe the the resurrection because the Bible tells us so. We believe in the resurrection because of the events of the resurrection and the witnesses to the resurrection. Andy Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, says it this way. We don't know about the resurrection of Jesus because we have a Bible. He says, we have a Bible because of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. And I think we oftentimes forget that. But that's what it's like to experience the first Easter in real time. There was no Bible, folks. It was just a man who came out of the grave and started talking to people, enjoying people with one another. The only reason that we tell the story of Easter, of Jesus' resurrection, is because of the event of him coming out of the grave. And so for 30 years, Peter travels around to towns and villages. And he's retelling and retelling the story. Going to different people, and they would invite him into their homes. And they say, hey, Peter, come and tell us that story of Jesus. And he would go into their home, and he would start telling the story of Jesus. And then they would get to the resurrection. They'd be like, oh, tell us again. What happened, Peter? And Peter would explain it to them. And this happened over and over and over for 30 years. And then Peter, after 30 years, ends up in Rome, in jail. Nero is the emperor. And at the time, Peter didn't know it, but he wasn't going to leave Rome. This was the end of the road for Peter. And Peter had a traveling companion, a guy by the name of Mark. And Mark had heard the story of Jesus over and over because Peter kept telling it. And everywhere Peter went, Mark went with him. And finally, there they are in Rome. There they are in a jail cell. And Mark looks at Peter and says, Peter, tell me the story of Jesus again. This time, I'm going to write it down. So Jesus, uh, Peter tells the story to Mark, and there's Mark writing down the story of Jesus. And then they get to the crucifixion, that Good Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And Mark says, okay, go really slowly. I don't want to get anything wrong here. And Peter said, Okay, here's what happened. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in the tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, uh, Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, meaning Saturday is done, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Why did they bring spices to anoint Jesus' body? Because he's dead, right? Why else would you show up at a tomb uh, with the expectation of anointing someone's body unless they were dead? That's what dead people do, right? They stay dead. So they go to the tomb very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise. They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I think that's the understatement of the year. Right? They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Don't forget to tell Peter. I love that Peter includes that in the story. He calls himself out. I mean, he would too, right? I would put myself in the story. Don't forget to tell Brian, right? It's awesome. Peter, I love it. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as, you, as he told you. So the ladies go back, and they go to the disciples. and They're like, you will not believe what we just saw. And they're like, no, we don't. And so Peter and John race down to the tomb, expecting to see this big stone in front of the tomb. And they were so confused. They were so bewildered. They didn't know what to do. That was not part of their expectation Easter Sunday. But they did what Jesus told them to do. They went to Galilee, and I don't know if this actually happened exactly uh, how, uh, uh, you know, the, the Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't give us all the details, but I think they had breakfast in Galilee right where the whole journey began. Remember where the story of Jesus begins on the Sea of Galilee? Jesus looks at Peter, James, and John, says, follow me. I love how I think the story ends of them gathering back together on the Sea of Galilee. And I think they've got a fire burning, sand between their toes, charcoal, and they're eating fish. And Jesus shows up and says, let's have breakfast. Extraordinary. I love that story. I love how they gather together and experience the resurrected Christ. Now, if you're a Jesus follower here this morning, I want to encourage you that your faith in Jesus Christ, your hope in Jesus, the ways in which you have sacrificed and ordered your life to follow Jesus, the ways in which you have exhibited compassion and generosity, that has not been in vain. And I think the disciples would look at us. Peter would look at us. John would look at us. Andrew. And they would say, good job. It's not in vain. I saw the resurrected Christ with my own eyes. And so the fact that you are following him Good job. Praise God. And if you don't consider yourself a Jesus follower, or if you maybe consider yourself a skeptic, I think Peter would come in this morning and say, I get it. I understand your skepticism. I spent three years with Jesus. I listened to his teachings. I watched his miracles. I heard his claims. I watched him heal people. But on that Good Friday, I stopped believing. On Saturday, I had no hope. I get it. I understand why you are skeptical. And then I think Peter would explain to us, but I saw the resurrected Christ with my own eyes. And I spent the next 30 years risking my life To tell others that Jesus rose from the grave. And so this morning, as we kind of think about where we're at in terms of believing, did this really happen? I don't want you to believe this really happened because the Bible tells us so. But I want us to really lean in and engage and consider the evidence and the facts that Matthew tells us so, Mark tells us so, Luke tells us so, John tells us so, the Apostle Paul tells us so, James, the brother of Jesus, tells us so. So many people saw the resurrected Christ with their own eyes and they said, Now I believe. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who didn't just come and explain to us in a book about who you are, but that, God, you came in flesh and blood in the person of Jesus Christ. You lived among your people, and then, God, as you died on the cross, you took our sins to the grave. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the many, many, the hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses who witnessed the resurrection in that first century. The ways, God, in which they lived their lives so extraordinary, so courageously, and the church grew. The church exploded in numbers hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, not because of a book because they saw it with their own eyes. And so, God, we thank you. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we've got the book. It's hard for us, God, to have that hindsight, to to put ourselves in the shoes of the early church, the early disciples. But thank you for the time this morning, Lord, where we could reflect on what it was like to live those events in real life time so God encourage us this morning if we are Jesus followers remind us and strengthen us that our faith in you is not in vain the ways in which we serve you and live our lives in this world it is not in vain but it is for your honor and glory and God I want to pray for those who might be skeptical those who might be like "Ah, I don't know I'd help them to see He rose from the grave, not because of a book, but because of the events and the eyewitnesses. Lord, we know it's a, a very personal decision for each one of us to follow you. So we pray this morning for each one of us to give us faith, to give encouragement. To give us hope because God your word tells us that as followers of Christ nothing can separate us from you and we can live with you for all of eternity Lord in your mercy hear our prayer